Hello and welcome to the Tabletop Miniature Hobby Podcast. It's the Snotland Pump Wagon of Miniature Wargames Podcasts. I should really rebrand the show that, shouldn't I? Or just rename it, Snotland Pump Wagon Podcast. Anyway, it's Matthew with you here and uh, it's another solo episode and I'd like to say I got good feedback on the last one. What I mean to say is that I didn't get any negative feedback, didn't get any feedback at all. So I'm assuming nobody hated it that much to the point where they, they got in touch about it. So yeah, thought I'd just get together with you, the listener again, and just talk about um a couple of thoughts that have been on my mind recently, a couple of things I want to talk about in relation to, well, terrain and to how we play sort of narrative campaign games as well. First things first though, on the last solo episode I talked through some of the miniatures that I was working on at the time. So that must have been a good month and a bit ago and it's been a really busy period for me. I've been away a few times, we've been away on holiday for a week and I was away with my work for a week as well. So really haven't had the chance to do very much recently but did get those uh, six or seven miniatures finished just the other day. And I've now uploaded uh, the pictures of them to bedroombattlefields.com so you can get a look there. Like I said on that last episode, it was Krell, the original sort of Krell miniature, along with a Krell cosplayer from, I think I said on the last episode, from Other World Miniatures. He's actually from Die Hard, from Tim Prow's Die Hard Miniatures. Uh, had a demonette there, a chaos goblin, and all sorts of... Good, good baddies, I was going to say. They're good baddie characters. So, yeah, put my pictures up on bedroombattlefields.com. You'll get a wee look at them over there. And now I'm working on the... I mentioned this on that last solo episode too. I'm working on sort of um, Android project at the moment. So... I've got these uh, 10 Android miniatures, they're all pretty similar and I'm just experimenting with different ways of painting. I'm, I'm getting quite set in my ways uh, with, the, with the methods that I use to paint miniatures and I'm quite happy with the outcomes but I would kind of like to just dabble in different sort of ways of doing, find out if there's some different techniques that might benefit me going forward uh, when I'm painting the sort of next batch of miniatures, the next batch of miniatures that I've got plans for in terms of the games they're going to be involved in. I'll obviously, I'll, I'll use these androids in games, but the, the predominant reason for getting them was just to just to fanny about, for lack of a better term. So yeah, enjoying that. I'm going to put some photos up of them too as, as they progress. Some of them will come out okay, I'd imagine, and some of them will probably come out a bit a bit rubbish, but um, it's all part of the fun, isn't it? So once I do get through those uh, Android miniatures, those test miniatures, I'm just taking a look. I've got a little drawer here with the uh, miniatures that I've assembled that, that don't have a lick of paint on them, basically. So... I've got the Chaos Space Raiders from Nightmare. Um, those are going to be my next sort of big project that I'm going to try my hardest at, I suppose. I've got a lot of 6 mil stuff. I'm not really not really touching that at the moment. Uh, and then I've got a squad of... It's basically Gretchen. Um, can't remember what they call them. They're from Nightmare Miniatures, so they've got a different name. They don't call them Gretchen. Maybe Space Goblins or something. But they are Kevin Adams, I think. They are, they are sculpted by him, the Goblin King himself. So really, really good, nostalgic, aesthetic miniatures. And uh, yeah, there's, I think there's 10 or 11 of those. And I've also got their, their fantasy counterparts too. I think these are called Bugbears. Um, so yeah, 
the, the like I say, fantasy alternative to those. Um, probably Kevin Adams sculpted as well. So that'll be what's on the painting table next for me after I finish those androids. So on to the main topic, if you like, of today's episode. I want to start off by talking about what I've named the terrain conundrum because obviously terrain is a really important part of the hobby for a lot of people almost everyone I would imagine you know wants a decent level of terrain on their tables and when you think about how you might get that terrain you could either make it or you could buy it now I've mentioned before on the show we we run a like open survey you might have filled it in yourself bedroombattlefields.com slash survey so that's one of the questions that I ask on that survey. I'm just dipping into it now. Um, so out of all the responses so far, uh, the question, do you make or do you prefer to make or buy your tabletop terrain and scenery? Uh, 39.3% prefer to buy it and 60.7% prefer to make it. So majority of folks that have filled it in so far prefer to make their terrain. I don't think there's any right or wrong answer here. Um, in fact, there's definitely not. You know, it's completely up to you what you want to do to get your terrain. I would say that I'm in the, the buying it camp and uh, we could kind of look at pros and cons either approach, I suppose. But the way I look at it is if I'm buying terrain, it frees up uh, more of my time to paint the actual miniatures themselves. And I suppose in theory, if you're buying terrain, you're not buying more miniatures. Now, I know that that's probably not the case for a lot of people, because if you want to just keep buying stuff, even if you can't afford them, you know, many people find their way around that hurdle uh, with credit cards and stuff like that. So, you know, in, in a simple world where we just had our set amount of money sitting there physically on the table, you could either buy one or the other, I suppose. But it doesn't really work like that uh, these days, does it? But like I say, I much prefer to buy it and sort of focus my, my painting and creative time on the miniatures themselves. I have made some terrain in the past, but the majority of the stuff that I've got is bought. Um, and I really like the stuff that I've picked up over the last couple of years from, I think it's gamemat.eu. That was via Goblin Gaming, who are a distributor here in the UK. And they do really, really good sort of... I think it's resin, so it's it's pre-painted terrain, really high standard stuff. I've got farmhouses and sort of village buildings. I've got castle walls. I've got ruins. And the great thing about this terrain is it literally is, you know, it comes in the box, you open the box, you could put it on the tabletop and it's ready to go. It really does look fantastic. It gives... The you know the the impression on the battlefield that you've put loads and loads of time into it, and it you know if you took a picture of it, it wouldn't look too far away from the sort of photos you would see in White Dwarf back in the day when you were leafing through your copy of that. But there's of course a big downside to terrain like this too. It wasn't the cheapest terrain in the world. You know, I, I think I was sort of between. 80 and 100 pounds per box. So I, I think over my over my lifetime, if you like, I'm talking about the last couple of years, but I maybe bought three boxes of this stuff. One of them would have been the village, one of them would have been the castle, and one of them would have been the ruins set. So that's a fair old uh, chunk of 
chunk of cash that I've put out on that over the years. And the other big issue with terrain like this as well is the, the storage of it because these are big bulky bits of kit. Um, you know, it's a big old box to come in. You can take them out of the box, but then you need to you need to essentially find another box for them. So you're either stuck with these original big boxes or you're going to just have to find a really good storage solution for the stuff. Um, it's certainly you know, is much bigger than, than a handful of 28mm miniatures. So, again, not for everyone, this sort of stuff. That's a definite downside of it. So what this really boils down to is that limited storage, which applies to probably almost all of us, means limited terrain in your terrain collection. That is, of course, if you're going for the ultra-realistic terrain, which I've opted for. But if we look back to the chats that I've had with Joe McCulloch of Frostgrave, etc., uh, he waxes lyrical about the wooden blocks method. So typically this is like going to the toy shop and buy, is it Jenga? Jenga they call it, the wooden blocks. But you'll get like boxes of just different wooden shapes and stuff as kids' toys. And he was saying that y you don't need ultra-realistic terrain. You just need to get yourself a couple of boxes or one box of these, these wooden blocks and you can build up any scenario you want in any genre you want. So it's almost like, you know, the less realistic your terrain looks, the more flexible it's going to be because if it's just wooden blocks, they could, they could become anything. You know, they could become your forest, they could become your spaceship, they could become your Blade Runner style futuristic city, uh, your medieval village. You know, you, you could do anything because you're just saying, you know, th these are the the pieces on the table. This is what they represent, and your imagination's doing the rest. And initially, your your tabletop's not going to obviously look as good, but I think when you start rolling dice and moving miniatures around the table. That's all going to going to fade in the background because your imagination takes over, and that's a big part of the hobby as a whole. Is the imagination, you know, the suspension of disbelief, the willingness to buy into what you've both agreed is taking place on that mat or in that table. So really, when we think about it, the more realistic your terrain, the more limited your battlefields are going to be, because you can end up in the position where you're just fighting over the same sort of three farmhouses, the same hedge the same tree, uh, because you don't have very much of it, because you've went for realism, which has also meant that um, either you can't buy very much because it's expensive, or you can't store very much of it because it's, you know, chunky and quite hard to store. And as a side note to this, I've seen some really good uh, YouTube tutorials over the years that have talked you through building yourself a, a really, really high-end war games table and uh, you know that you see them building the hills and the river and they've got some statues and that and it looks fantastic but you do think to yourself like after the second or third battle on that table would it not become a bit stagnant you know you you're probably wanting to mix it up especially if you're if you're running a campaign, you know, if you have the, the luxury to, to be playing with somebody on an ongoing basis and you want to do a narrative campaign you don't really want to just have this, uh, have these repeated battles in this exact same area, unless it fits your story somehow. But for most of us, you don't really want to be doing that. 
So one idea that I was kind of tossing around in my head recently was the idea of cross-game campaigns. This is all hypothetical. So the concept here is that you create a campaign that spans several different games and it would it would be in the same genre, if you like. So you're probably looking at, you know, is this fantasy or is this sci-fi? But for example, what you could do here, you could start with like a maritime game, you know, Man of War, Armada, um, I'm really interested in picking one of these up. This is a slight diversion, but I'm reading uh, I'm reading Captain Cook's biography at the moment, and uh, you know he was more of an explorer than a than a fighter. Um, but just the you know the atmosphere of the the sort of nautical maritime stuff, um, I've really got the flavour for it at the moment. So I don't know whether to, to go for Armada or if Man of War is going to be too inaccessible these days because it's obviously a, a dead game. Uh, so you'd have to maybe do a bit of eBay, but I need I need to look into that. And get myself a wee a wee ship or boat based game. But anyway, in the cross game campaign idea, you could maybe start with one of these maritime games. So this part of the story, you are, for example, trying to land your ships on a land that you're going to invade. So you know that's part one of this campaign. Can we? get X amount of ships, X amount of troops onto the shores here and that's going to take our campaign to the next stage and that could be the mass battle. It could be 28mm scale or if you want to go really big and really small at the same time you could go 6mm which we've talked about a lot on the podcast before. So yeah, you've, you've landed your troops now and depending on how that went that's going to maybe then factor into one of the players, you know, the size of the army. Did they land this ship? Therefore, did they get these troops onto the table for this next battle? So we're doing this mass scale battle, which then happens after the, the, the armies have landed, if you like. Could be an invasion, I suppose. And then after that, you could look at uh, the next part of your campaign being a smaller scale skirmish game. You know, games I talk about a lot on this show, open combat, Song of Blades and Heroes, maybe the, you know, the battle's over now, um, however that's went, it's not like after a battle literally everyone's dead, so, you know, maybe a, a gang has broken away somewhere or some some unit, you know, the surviving members of some unit are, are off somewhere in the woods and they meet up with somebody else, there's a bit of a fight, so this continues the narrative these are survivors of that big battle and they're now kind of fighting for their lives in these smaller scale scuffles. And then maybe that somehow leads them to the entrance, the mysterious underground entrance to like a dungeon or a cave. And we can then go to the dungeon crawler game for our final part of this story. You know, our survivors are going down into the depths that maybe they've discovered something, maybe they they are trying to kill somebody, but then you're you're looking at a game like Hero Quest or Dungeon Saga. So they're going down into these uh, these corridors and fighting skeletons and baddies and stuff like that, trying to bring this story to a close. And again, the whole narrative you you'll have the imagination yourself to come up with all these reasons of why this is happening, what the objectives are, what the aims are. This is all just surface level, um, again, hypothetical stuff from me. And you could do this entire thing in reverse as well, of course, you know, start in the dungeon, 
maybe the hero's broken out of some sort of dungeon or prison and they're fighting their way out. We then go to the skirmish where he or she picks up a, a war band and they're, they're kind of fighting their way across the, the country um, and that might lead them somehow to this bigger battle where they get involved and, uh, you know, it's a rank and flank type game. And then maybe we finish on the seas. Uh, one of the armies is is done a fight and retreat. They've got on their ships and they're trying to get away, basically. And the hero's part of that. Maybe not represented as the same miniature at that scale, obviously, but you could keep track of where they are, you know, what boat they're on, how that affects that particular boat and that sort of thing. So the cross-game campaign can give you that ongoing story, that ongoing narrative, uh, these different gaming nights, if you're getting together with the same folks, to run that campaign, even if you have minimal space and minimal terrain. Again, it gets it gets us away from that issue of fighting over the, the same three farmhouses. You know, the, the people that live in the houses, they're sick to death looking out the window and here's another skirmish going on outside or here's another battle going on outside. So, yeah, this gives us an opportunity to, to play our other games as well. I like this thought of having a game for every sort of itch to scratch. So, like I, I've talked about the, the maritime stuff, you, you know, you've got your seafaring game you've got your mass battle game you've got your skirmish game that you like you've got your dungeon crawler that you like and i know that some folks will want multiple games or rule sets in all of these genres but for me i just like to have one of each and i can really then get to know that game so that we could pick it up and i could uh, play it without too much effort in terms of learning the rules or remembering how it all works and stuff like that so the example here that I've given is obviously the uh, fantasy or it could be historical, I suppose. Um, obviously, you could transfer that to science fiction as well, substitute the boats for spaceships and the dungeons for the corridors of a space hulk. Uh, and you've got your, you know, your 40k or whatever, your, your sci-fi shootout type games. So there's loads of scope to do cross-game campaigns and no matter what genre you prefer to play in. So that's just a bit of uh, musings from me recently. Like I say, it's been a been a wee while since I've put something out, um, purely because it's been it's been a very busy period. But uh, do have some interviews lined up going forward, so be good to to hear from the folks that are coming on. We'll talk about their own uh, hobby ventures as well. And by the way, if there's any guests that you'd like to hear on the show in future. Please let me know. If you go to bedroombattlefields.com, you'll find a contact page, which will tell you all the, the different ways that you could get in touch with me. And either if you want to come on the show yourself, it'd be great to hear from you. Or if there's a, a guest that you'd like me to try and get on, maybe it's someone from the, the old Games Workshop days or something like that. Somebody I'd really love to get on is, is Bill King, the author. I think he wrote a lot of the Go Trick and Felix novels for the Black Library. So fantastic author. Um, so that's that's one that I'd like to make happen in the future if that be possible or not I don't know but uh, yeah who knows and on a final note I talked in recent episodes about running that wee prize draw I was giving away uh, two books one of them was the Warhammer Armies Beasts of Chaos the other one was the Hordes of Chaos books I was going to give them away to uh, two listeners, two different listeners. All you had to do to enter that prize draw was to leave a review of the show on your listening app of choice or on Podchaser and just send me a wee screenshot of it. 
just to, to let me know about it. Uh, so we did have two lucky winners, uh, Andy and Mark. Thank you very much to you guys. Has to be said, they didn't have a lot of competition. There wasn't wasn't very many reviews, but then again, we don't have very many listeners, so I wasn't expecting a barrage. But uh, it's always nice to see uh, reviews. You know, if you if you can spare a minute or two just to, to bang someone there, it's great to see. I, I don't do the show for that, obviously. I do it just as a just as a wee creative outlet, just as a wee hobby. But it's nice to, to hear from you, especially, you know, folks that really relate to the, the, the conversations we're having on the show, the nostalgia, the ethos around it as well. You know, we're not we're not competitive gamers. We're just looking to, to do something a bit creative, a bit relaxing um, and, you know, narrative rather than, than competition, if you like. So, uh, yeah, reviews are always welcome on your listening app of choice, but congratulations to Andy and Mark for picking up copies of those books. I'll be in touch about sending those out to you as well. Anyway, that's just about it for this episode of the Tabletop Miniature Snotland Pump Wagon Hobby Podcast. Thanks as always for listening. Thanks for subscribing. I really do appreciate it. And until the next time, enjoy yourself. <laughs>